5, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at a verse that's pretty popular. We have all seen it and heard it, and I'm going to kind of build up to it a little bit, but God started showing me something. I was looking at this and just kind of a revealed a new way of looking at this verse that we've all known, and we'll get to it. But first, let's start here in verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ compels us, draws us, because we judge thus, if one died for all, then all died. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 16, therefore, therefore, that means because, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So what is he saying here? Let me paraphrase for you. He's saying that because Christ has come, when he died, we all died. And when he rose again, we all rose with him. If we make him our Lord, if we accept him as our Lord. And so now because of this transition that has happened, I don't look at other believers based upon their naturally worldly judgment standards or limitations. Now let me tell you how the world views you. Let me tell you how the world sees you. The world sees you based upon what you have done or what you are doing. And we've all run into that. It doesn't matter if it was a manager at work, if it's a sister, a teacher, your parents. It doesn't matter who you come into contact with. They only have the ability of seeing you based upon either what you have done or what you're doing today, based upon who you were or based upon who you are today. Anyone ever filled out an application before? You notice they never ask you on the application anything about your future. What do you want to be? What are your goals? Where do you feel you'll be in the next five years? Sometimes they give you that, but it's only to get a basis on how you can help them. But the majority of that application is your past. It's who you were and what you have done, or who are you today? The world can only judge you based upon those two standards. But look what verse 17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in where? In Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. When you come into the kingdom, when you are born again, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life and you repent, you take that 180 and you turn from the way you used to live, you know what God says? He says, I don't look at you based upon your past anymore. I don't even look at you based upon who you are today. I have now given you a future and that's what I'm looking at. God looks at you based upon what you're about to do, not what you have done. That should be exciting for some of us. He doesn't even look at us based upon 
what we're doing today. He looks at us based upon a future. We know what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. I have given you a future and a hope. That is who God pictures now. So this verse, paraphrased, translated, whatever you want to call it, basically, essentially is wording this. We are no longer identified by our past, but we are now identified by our future. I'm no longer identified by what I have done. I'm now identified by what is inside of me to pursue and obtain what God has called me to do. Now, the hard part, the hard part in this, the part we struggle with, is we're surrounded by people who know our past and know our present. You know, you, you go home and you tell them, I got born again, I made Jesus the Lord of my life, and they're saying, see how long that lasts. Why? Because they're thinking about a past. They're thinking about a present. They don't look at you and say, the old things are passed away. You're a new creation. Look at the bright future you have. Now, if you get around some godly people that know how to believe and talk in line with the word of God, they'll say, man, I see you the way God sees you. But the part that we struggle with is seeing ourselves the way God sees us. The part we struggle with is now seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And I want to give you the answer to that tonight. I want to give you the answer to helping you see yourself the way God sees you. And it's a word, it's a word that we, if, that we have heard multiple times in church. It's a word that is actually in the church and in the world is one of the most misunderstood words that we have in the Bible today. But if we can grab a hold of this one word, understand its true definition, understand what it really does for us, it will change your perception of your, of your life, uh, how you live for the rest of your life. And that word is grace. Grace. Now, we've heard multiple translations. God's unmerited favor, a free gift, something we didn't deserve, but yet God gave it to us anyways. But the church has related grace more to weakness than it does strengthening. Because the object, we come into the kingdom, we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, but we're still bombarded by all the same stuff we were bombarded by before. We're still living in the same natural world and realm and atmosphere that we were in before. I mean, I know a lot of us wish that, you know, when we said that prayer and we were born again, that God would just take us straight to heaven. What's the point? But he doesn't do that because there's actually a reason why he needs you in the earth. We talk about that all the time. You've got a purpose. You've got a destiny. You've got a plan. And it's for this realm, not for that realm. 
And so here we are still in this world and surrounded by people who still view us and picture us by all the mess ups and all the things that we've done before and who we used to be in the past and the present. Now, I want to help some of us out today because I got to be honest, I don't have that great of a testimony when it comes to a big, nice, drawn out, dramatic testimony that's going to make your tears jerk out of your face and want to grab the tissues. I don't have that kind of testimony. There are people that do, and thank God that God has been able to pull you out of that, and God has changed you and saved you from that. But, you know, I I didn't drink stuff I shouldn't have. I didn't snort and shoot things up that I shouldn't have. I maybe hung around some people that I shouldn't have, but I, I had pretty good relationships for the most part. I was raised in church. But see, when we talk about grace, it's usually in the form of covering up the old stuff. But I want to show you a different side of grace that not only takes care of your past, but helps you pursue your future. When we talk about grace, the weakness that we usually attain to is one of two things. Either that grace is not good enough to cover up my terrible past, Or that grace is so strong that it still allows me to live the same way because I have grace. Both of those pictures show grace as a weakness, not a power. It's either not good enough to cover up the terrible past that I've had, or it is is weak in the fact that it can't actually help me change and live a different life. That all that grace can do is every time I mess up, I can go and ask for forgiveness and repentance. But grace is powerful enough to cover up the worst past and help you live the best future. This is the grace that God wants us to know. This is the grace the Bible talks about. And this is the grace that Paul talks about. Now look at Colossians chapter 3. Because I'm going to make a statement here. After we read this passage, that may blow you away, but that's good. I want it to blow you away. Sometimes I put things in here for shock appeal, you know. Grab your attention. Colossians Colossians chapter 3. I'm in Galatians. They all look the same. I-A-N-S. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now watch this. For you died. Old things passed away. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now remember what 2 Corinthians 5:17 said, throw that back up there. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the first step to seeing yourself the way God sees you is knowing your identity is now in Christ, not yourself anymore. The first step to walking in God's grace 
is first knowing that it's not about you anymore. It's about you hidden inside of Christ. You are in Christ. So here's the statement. Ready? When God sees you, he sees Jesus. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. Because your identity is now in him. So anything he can do, you can do. Anything he is, you are. Because my life is hidden in him. If Jesus never blew it, I never blew it. That's the first key. Now you've heard me say before that the church struggles in finding the middle of the road. When I grew up, they called it ditches. You got this one, this one minister's way over in this side of the ditch on something. But then this other minister, he's the direct opposite, and he's over on this side of the ditch, and both sides are wrong. Both positions are wrong. For me to say that I am in Christ, it's already been taken care of so I can live however I want, is wrong. And for me to continue to live and talk about myself as a sinner, that God knows all my sins and and he knows how much I failed and, and that's just my life, that's wrong. I want to show you a grace today. I want to show you a picture of yourself that isn't tied to your past any longer but is also capable of advancing and walking in the great future that God has for you. This is what grace does. Now, it's interesting. The writer who's writing these books, his name is Paul. And Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul was one of the greatest advancers of the kingdom in the New Testament, one of the greatest apostles. But his past was terrible. If you know anything about Paul, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 8. It says, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Because why? Because I persecuted the church. One of the greatest advancers of the kingdom was at one point the greatest hater of the kingdom. This man that ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament, this man that ended up going and doing great things and starting all these churches and traveling and going on these missionary trips and creating so many awesome leaders up under him and training up people and suffered so much at the hands of men, this guy once was a hater of the church and was killing them and persecuting them, putting them in jail, having them beaten and even killed. In Acts chapter 7, we see an account where he is actually watching an apostle named Stephen die by stoning. This is Paul. This is his past. This is who he used to be. 
This was how men viewed him. And you read about when he started ministry, when Jesus came to him on the road to Damascus, converted him, changed his life forever, he had a hard time getting in the synagogues and teaching. He had a hard time. Why? Because man viewed him based upon the outward, not based upon what took place on the inside. Right? Been down that road. We've all had opportunity for people just to view us. I mean, I'd love to go to a job interview and, and tell them, you need me. <laughs> Do you understand what a Bible-believing, faith-believing person would do to your company. If you just put me on your payroll, watch what will happen. I'd love to do that. But they don't see the stuff on the inside. They don't see the superhero on the inside. They see the guy on the outside, and they want to know where I went to school, and they want to know what kind of background I have, and they want to know how long I've been doing what I'm applying for, and they want to talk to all the people that know me. They don't care about all that stuff. So Paul had a hard time. But right here, he's telling us that, man, I was the worst. I'm the least. And in fact, I shouldn't even be called. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. But look what he says in verse 10. Look at what he says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I want to show you tonight that grace is actually powerful, not powerless. Grace, God's grace, is actually an empowering not just to remove and wipe and, and put a Band-Aid on what you used to do and what you did, but it gives you a future and it allows you to live the life that God's called you to live. Paul is saying here that I am not a changed person. I'm not a converted person. I'm not doing the things that I'm doing today just because of my power and ability, but because of the grace of God, I am what I am. And he doesn't attribute grace as something that just rubs and wipes away what he used to do. He is showing us that the, what, the reason he's doing what he's doing and becoming what he's becoming is, become, is because of God's grace. Because of God's power working within him. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. What does it say? For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. It's grace. Nothing that we obtain to, nothing that we accomplished on our own. Not because of anything we did. The next verse, verse 9, says it's not of works that anyone should boast. You realize that when you operate in true grace, God gets the glory. It's not that any of us would boast. It's not to say, look at me. It's not to say, look at what I've done. Because there was another instance where Paul actually wrote, and he went on his whole list of, this is everything that's happened to me. This is everything I've been through. And he says, 
Look, if, if I wanted to boast, I could boast. I've been shipwrecked multiple times. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I've been stoned. People hate me. People talk about me. People who once followed me turn away from me. And that can even be more painful than even just the natural stuff that you endure. And he said, if anybody could boast, I could boast. But he knew it's the grace of God. It's God's grace on my life. There was one point where Paul was going through some of that. He was, what he would do is he would travel and he would minister to these different cities, but then Judaizers would come behind him and they would debunk everything that he just said. They'd come in and say, you don't want to listen to that guy, he's a liar, and change the people's hearts. And Paul said that, I asked God three times to remove this thorn out of my flesh. That was the thorn. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, 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 a physical ailment. The thorn in his flesh was peopled by demonic activity coming up behind him. That'd be like me preaching to you and then someone else coming in here and saying, don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's what was happening. He prayed three times. And you know what God told him? My grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak, I'm strong. My grace is a power to you to continue to go on. My grace is my ability, my power working inside of you to help you accomplish the great future that I have, not just get rid of the terrible past that you have. See, the reason, what is the point of having your past removed if you're not given a future? What's the point? Because your future will eventually become your past. And many people are only repeating history, finding themselves in a cycle of living their past. Just because they come out of their past doesn't mean they're redeemed from their past because they do it tomorrow in their future and the day after that it becomes their past all over again. But God is saying, I have grace powerful enough to get rid of your past and to give you an ability to walk in a new future that I have for you. See, that's true. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message at its core. Not only did Jesus go to the cross to get rid of my sinful past, but he gave me an ability to live out a great future. It's up to us what we look at. It's up to us what we focus on. There are are people that just focus on their past and glad I'm not doing that anymore, but I want to be someone God is wanting his believers, wanting his church to be a people that will look at the bright future that's up ahead. He's wanting people to not try to do it on their own. You you know you're not supposed to live the kingdom life by yourself. He never told you to. One of the first things Jesus told his disciples was, when I leave, somebody's coming to replace me. He will be a helper. He will be a comforter. He's going to help you make the right choices. Grace helps you make the right choice when you know you want to do the wrong thing. 
Grace helps you get it right the next time when you got it wrong the last time. That's what grace does. I was talking a little bit about my testimony or the lack thereof. But here's the thing. This is what's so exciting to me. And when I saw this, it changed my life. The same grace that saved that person from that terrible past is the same grace I have to rely on to live out the great future God has for me. See, we look at grace as something that rescues us. But we don't often look at the grace that keeps us. Here's what I mean. I could fall into sin and grace can pull me out. But grace also does something else. Grace in operation in my life many times will keep me from ever falling into sin. Grace will not only forgive me of the terrible decision I made yesterday, but it can keep me from making the same decision tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? There's two sides to it. And for too long, we've only looked at one side. And so we have, thank God for his grace that forgives our past. But then going on, we're saying, well, how am I supposed to get it right next time? The same grace that got rid of the past gets you in the great future. It's the same grace. The same grace that people rely on to rid them of the terrible past and the terrible decisions they've made is the same grace I have to rely on on a daily basis so I don't repeat things that are against the word and against God's will. That's the power of grace. Let's keep going here. Look at verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The same grace that he said in verse 8 forgives you and redeems you from one type of lifestyle is already has a future mindset to it. The same grace that takes care of my past helps me walk in my future. I want to identify with who I am in Christ, not who I was in the world. Regardless of how bad you lived, the decisions you made, the people you ran with, the choices that you made in your life, it doesn't matter. You can choose to identify with who you were in the world or who you are in Christ. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I should be identifying my life not based upon a past, but I should be identified based upon a future. One of the greatest things that we can do as believers and citizens of the kingdom of God is get a hold of God's picture for our life. Get a hold of the future. Get a hold of the potential that we all possess. This is liberating. 
This is liberating for the one that grew up in church, and this is liberating for the one that just got saved yesterday. This is liberating because we all need grace in operation. The kingdom life cannot be lived without grace because grace is an empowering. It's a power. It's not a weakness. And God is trying to tell us the same thing today. When you are weak, I am strong because my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. All I know is his grace is enough. All I know is no matter how terrible the past or how great the future, his grace is enough. I don't have to just revel in my past and thank God for freeing me from that. But then we look at the future and say, oh, wow, that's too great. I can't accomplish that. There's no way I could do that. The same grace, the same grace is pushing me forward, giving me a future, giving me a hope. See, we love the fact that God's given us a future. But then when God begins to reveal it piece by piece, we say, oh, whoa, that's too much. And the same person that's saying, my past was too bad, there's another person that's saying, my future's too great. And to both of those people, I say, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient to keep pushing on. His grace is sufficient to get you out of what you've been in. His grace is sufficient to help you accomplish everything he's called you to do in his kingdom. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said this. He said, those that receive the gift of grace, they will reign in life as kings. They will reign in life. Why? Because they received that gift of grace. Because they received the power to reign. They received the power to dominate and rule in life. Not just something that covers up what I used to do, but something that helps me accomplish all that God has called me to do. That's the grace we've got to get a hold of. That's the grace that changes lives. That's the grace that causes us to be different in a world that stays the same. You know, I sometimes I, I had one person come to me, came out of a denomination, a church that preached your sinner saved by grace. In that term, sinner saved by grace grace you're just showing grace on one dimension saving grace does far more than saves it reveals and I was talking with him and you know he I was talking like I'm talking now there's there's a plan of future I'm not identified by my sin I'm not identified by who I used to be I'm identified by who I am in Christ. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. And so he made this statement. He says, that sounds a little cocky, doesn't it? I said, I've got two choices in life. I can view myself the way the world sees me, 
or I can view myself the way my God sees me. And if God put it in his word for me to read and for me to believe and for me to confess, then I might as well just believe it. I might as well just choose to see myself the way God sees me. It's all about perception. How does the world see you? Based upon your flesh. But Paul said, we regard no one to the flesh anymore. I regard them as being in Christ because of grace. You know that same grace that you talk about that freed you from your past? Because he was telling me, he's like, you know, I just go day to day. You know, and I make bad decisions or I cuss or, you know, I say things to my wife that I really don't mean. I mean, just, you know, I'm just trying, just trying to live for God. The same grace that removed your past will help you accomplish everything God's called you to do. People that battle with sin, people that struggle with addictions, people that struggle with mindsets and lifestyles and things that they do, it's just that they haven't gotten a full picture of grace. Because it's easy to say, All right, God, you took care of that, but what about this? God, you fixed it yesterday, but what about tomorrow? The same God that took care of your past wants to take care of your future. And the same thing he used to take care of your past, he'll use to take care of your future. It's grace. I want to live and operate in his grace. I want to see myself the way he sees me. He doesn't see me in sin. He sees me in Christ. He doesn't see me in struggle and turmoil. He sees me in overcoming. Because greater is he who lives in me than he that's in the world. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Your grace is power. Your grace is mighty. Your grace is strong. And you said that your grace is sufficient. Father, your grace is all we need. We don't need to look to anything else to get rid of the stuff that we've done. And we don't need to look to anything else to help us accomplish everything you have for us. Your grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's all that we need. So, Father, tonight we rest in your grace. We rest in in your power, and your ability working inside of us. You said when we are weak, when we feel like we can't put it down, when we feel like we can't take that next step forward, your grace is our strength when we're weak. So we will learn to rely on it. We will learn to put it into practice. We will learn to to apply it. We will learn to rest in your grace. And not just be thankful for what grace covers up, but be excited about what grace also reveals. It covers up our past, but it reveals our future. We thank you for that grace and operation in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.